Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. The saying goes, life is hard and then you die. I'd say that life is unfair and then you die. Or sometimes you die because life is unfair. Something like that. All I know is that it's all unfair all the time. Thankfully, there is a fix. It takes lying and whining and demonizing, but it can be fixed. Sort of. For some people. On today's episode, first we're going to do some toxic gaslighting, then we'll find out how nobody knows the trouble she's seen, and finally we'll see that you can't spell democracy without demon. Minus the N. You get the idea. So, go grab a box of matches, suck it in, we're about to go live, and take comfort in knowing that we'll once again be restored to what we never were. Eh, hardly seems fair, but I guess here we go. Well, I think in fairness to you, I I must lead with my mistakes. I know, I know, you're shocked and likely horrified at the idea that I could possibly make a mistake, but it's true. Sadly, because of my biases, because of my clearly faulty worldview, some of you will likely die a terrible, horrible, no-good death. I just hope that by... Getting out in front of this, I can, in time, reestablish the trust you've all placed in me. I mean, not not for the dead ones, but for the other ones, the ones that survive. Found on NBC News via MSN.com headline, Gas stoves can leak chemicals linked to cancer. Mounting evidence shows. Now, you may be wondering what I've done to make me start my podcast in this manner. Well, back in episode four, I came out mocking the idea that in New York City, new apartments and I believe home builds, I can't really remember anymore, were not going to be allowed to use gas appliances. Oh, no, 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 no. All electric for you and you'll love it. And over and over, I've railed on the idea of electric vehicles and the push from... Well, as it turns out, our beneficent, loving overlords who have been trying to nudge us into a position of safety all along. To make matters worse, I literally live in a house that has no gas. Well, I mean, there's the dog, and and me, and the kid, but no natural gas hookups. So I've been living the clean, non-cancer, chemical-emitting, electric life this entire time, while the rest of you are doomed. Oh, and side note, before we go on, if you do happen to go back to episode four, just, you know, just um, be kind. Doing a podcast is a, it's a learning experience, and uh, wow. Anyway, I'll be honest, I'm not sure if our government has known that natural gas is cancerously deadly this entire time, and to reduce the chances of a panic, they just wanted to move us to an all-electric society for our health and safety. Or, if this is just a crazy dink that right at the same time they're trying to push us all electric, under the myth that that's actually a thing that can happen without setting the country on fire in, you know, the shape of an electrical grid, 
you know, a study just happened to reveal that if you use a gas stove, you're as good as dead. At no time would I ever think or imply that the research done by PSE Healthy Energy, a group that has three formal areas of research, clean energy, energy in the environment, and environmental health, never would I imply that they may have an ulterior motive or be in bed with our government in any way. Perish the thought. We'll go on, perish it. So to try to keep this short, here's the gist. PSE did an exhaustive study of 159 homes with gas stoves in California and concluded that if you have a gas stove, you're dead. They used a sniffer to test if there were any leaks, and if you know anything about keeping a gas inside of a system, there are always leaks. Now, with natural gas, if the leak is too large, you'll be walking through the house saying, Who farted? Eventually realizing it's your stove that, in fact, did the... Uh, did the fodding. So they admit that the leaks in the stoves they tested were very, very tiny, but they found 12 hazardous air pollutants coming from these stoves, including benzene, in nearly every sample. In fact, they found that the leakiest stoves had indoor concentrations seven times the safe limit set by the California EPA. Or at least so they say, but their numbers didn't look like it, except for maybe just short bursts. But anyway, remember the California EPA and all the state EPAs have the ability to go more stringent than the Fed, but not less. And California seems to like to go more stringent. In this case, though, no. It appears that either California has adopted the Fed's numbers or the Fed has adopted California's. Either way, the limits are set at one part per million average over an eight-hour period or a short-term limit of five parts per million over 15 minutes. But this does not really appear to be their number they're using. From their study, it appears that they're using a number from the California Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment at an eight-hour average of just under one part per billion. That's a little more rigorous. In other words, this is why the stoves failed. You'll never seal them up that tight, which is clearly why you must go to electric or you'll die. They then used all this data they collected from all of those 159 stoves and with some mathematical magic came up with 4,200 kilograms of benzene every year that's just pumped into the air above California. And this is the same kind of toxic filth that would be pumped into the air by 60 thousand light-duty gas cars. Now, keep in mind, California has about 30 million cars within its borders, so all these leaky stoves across California are emitting the same benzene amount per year as 0.2% um, of the cars in California. Now, benzene is listed as a carcinogen, and it looks like that's, again, per California standards. They have this thing called Prop 65, and it lists all of the cancer-causing chemicals that they've found. Well, their list has just over 1,000 chemicals listed, including some real death traps like uh, alcohol and aloe vera, aspirin, cannabis or marijuana smoke, and cocaine, and so many others. So pretty much everything in California can cause cancer, which really begs the question, why are Californians just so very weak and frail? 
Now, the article and the study go on with some blah, 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 I don't know. Apparently, having a gas stove in the house means you must be on the lookout for eye, nose, or throat irritation, lung irritation, feeling tired, dizzy, or short of breath. I don't have a gas stove, but except for the eye, nose, and throat thing, the rest of those sound like me walking up the stairs. I I don't know, maybe my house is built on an old uh, benzene burial ground or something? I'm not entirely sure. So NBC got some drones to chime in from the EIA, the U.S. Energy Information Administration, a totally nonpartisan, bias-free, politics-free government organization, part of the Department of Energy, found at EIA.gov. Shock of shocks, they agree with the PSE study. And if they agree, and they're totally not biased, well... But point counterpoint, NBC did get some planet-hating hell beast from the American Gas Association to comment as well. Not like it matters, as we know they're just lying liars who lie so they can make a buck while literally killing our children and our grandparents. Well, this fool said, quote, It is difficult to draw any conclusion from measurements from 159 homes in one state when there are more than 77 million residential, commercial, and industrial natural gas customers in all 50 states. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, said just like an environmental rapist. So, benzene is a natural byproduct of combustion, or more accurately, incomplete combustion. You know, coal and petroleum products, also a byproduct in the petrochemical industry. And apparently it's been detected on Mars. So, either we're destroying Mars already, or, or they are, Or, you know, evolution, life on other planets. Hey, celebrate good times. Come on. Look, what we have here is a classic case of natural gaslighting. Eh? See what I did there? Natural gaslighting. I'd imagine that like most everything, if you're exposed to enough benzene, it can be harmful. I'll even say that benzene could be a cause of certain types of cancers. I will further go along with the game and say that the short-term and the time-weighted average for benzene exposure are set at a reasonable level. Now, all that said, this story is cow flop, in my humble opinion, of course. So let me reiterate why I find this to be horse hockey. They're using the most strict guideline possible. I would wager the most strict in the country, even more strict, 1,000 times more strict than the California EPA. At least, that's what it appears from their report. Gas stoves have been around since 1802, Benzene was first discovered in the 16th century and then isolated finally in 1825. Natural gas has been known and utilized since possibly 1000 BC. I guess this is why everyone has died of leukemia for thousands of years, just everyone. Although it doesn't appear that there are any ANSI-specific guidelines as to what leakage rate is acceptable for gas stove manufacturing, that spec, that ANSI spec is Z21.1 if you're curious, all valves are produced to a certain spec of tightness. And I guarantee that each manufacturer has a specific quality check for go, no-go on a stove. They're not going to send something out there that could potentially leak and kill people generally that's thought of as a bad business model. Now, I find it very odd that this and a few other stories have come out in the last few months as the ramp up to pushing everyone to all electric everything has started. Yeah, I have a feeling that we're going to be seeing many, many pieces very similar to this one that, you know, warn us of that impending doom that's coming. 
you know, all chemicals are deadly. We simply can't have gasoline cars and natural gas stoves or water heaters because it's destroying the planet. I, no, 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 that doesn't. I mean, it's killing you and everyone you love. See, get rid of it. What you'll find is that this is par for the course when the government or some unelected agency wants us to move in a certain direction. If a bill comes up to lower taxes or if the government is threatened with a budgetary shutdown, isn't it funny how it's always the police and firemen that apparently will be laid off first? I mean, you're telling me that there's nowhere in the budget that we could, you know, shift the money around, keep paying our emergency services and first responders? No, the problem is cutting funding for the National Endowment for the Arts would get a big yawn for most Americans. But laying off firefighters, well, that just cannot happen. The narrative regarding fossil fuels has been climate change for decades now. But the sad fact for these greenies is that nobody cares. I mean, you have a small tree-hugging contingent, but it's never a top issue in any poll. It's rare that it makes the top 10 in a poll of things that voters care about. It's just a big nothing. So the tactic must change. Now it's not that you'll die because you'll never be able to escape the sea level rise of maybe one thirty-second of an inch every year or so, or maybe not. I don't know. No. Now it's that it's going to give you cancer or kill you in your sleep or murder your entire family with benzene and probably a ghost gun. This is just pure manipulation, or as I like to call it, lying to an entire population, knowing that all they need to do is get probably not even a majority of voters, just a plurality, in order to drive change. Once they convince us that gas is bad, and diesel is bad, and coal or natural gas is bad, then we'll be stuck with the renewables. And uh, those are, spoiler alert, bad as well. They're already laying those tracks down so they can complain about it when they finally get the reliable energy sources shut down. This is why we must stay informed. There are a lot of nefarious characters out there and they will lie and lie and lie to us in order to get their desired agenda accomplished. We, and I can speak specifically to and for Christians, we are not to be taken in by this sort of manipulation. These are fools. They despise wisdom. They marvel at their own greatness as they deliver lie after carefully crafted lie to herd us like sheep to the slaughter. We must be wise. We must be smart. We must be knowledgeable and informed. Now, I've said this before. Christians are the owners and keepers of true truth, and science or scientific discovery is part of that. Now, I don't know if OSHA or the California EPA have the correct exposure limits for gas stoves, but seeing as though this leakage rate is calculated out to be less than one quarter of one percent of the total car population, I don't think this is the planet killer they think it is. So I feel comfortable saying, use your gas stove. I'd also like to say, I wish I had a gas stove, but alas, I have no hookups at the house. It's only electric. So use your stove, cook up something real nice, and then sit back and watch the stories come rolling in with all sorts of scare tactics meant to frighten you into submission. They've proven they can do it. Just wait for the next time. Oh, and I take back my apology from the beginning. I've been right all along. It's not my fault. I don't even know how it happened. I wasn't there. He who smelt it dealt it. In fact, it's your fault. We're living in an age of victimhood, not 
anything is anyone's fault anymore. It's all someone else's fault, which is mathematically impossible because from their perspective, it's not their fault either. So I'm not even sure how that works. The crazy thing is, it's not just the individual that's claiming to be the victim anymore. We have others that are telling us we're all victims. I mean, think about it. American Idol, if you remember that, if you've ever watched that show, the initial auditions. Oh, oh those at the beginning of the season, you always have people that well, they just don't need to be singing. And they really owe music an apology for, for what they've done to it. But you'll undoubtedly have contestants that will blame the judges, the professionals, you know, in the music industry, for not knowing what they're talking about. Even worse, you'll always have one or two that will have a parent that makes sure that everyone knows their child has the voice of an angel and the judges are just threatened by them or something. I don't know. And you look and, yes, the, the parent does actually have ears. So you can only conclude that they have severe hearing issues. Now, it used to be that when you got in trouble in school, you got in trouble at home, too. Doesn't seem fair, but yeah, I mean, that's what happened. Now, teachers in general not only have to contend with a kid that's out of control, but if they say anything to this child, hey, here comes the parent. And how dare you tell my child what to do? Uh, criminals used to be it's crazy arrested or even injured or killed when caught in the middle of committing a crime but now the cops are the problem and why didn't they just talk it out maybe go in for a hug with the gun wielding nut and we've got the entire democrat party telling blacks that it's not their fault they commit crime or can't get an id or don't know how to act in civilization or how to speak understandably or hold a job, they're black. And blacks used to be slaves. So see, not their fault, and it's wrong to be asked to change or improve any of that. I mean, this, of course, is nothing but soft racism or the racism of low expectations. It's literally a form of gaslighting slavery, all for the sake of votes. Pretty evil. Unfortunately, many in the black community fall for this psychological manipulation. Now, I give you all these scenarios as a lead-up to one of the dumbest reviews I've probably ever done, but it's one of those things that caught my eye, and I thought, <laughs> oh, you've got to be kidding me. Found on Woman and Home, which you know that I read, <laughs> via news.yahoo.com headline, Meghan Markle reveals feeling objectified as briefcase model on Deal or No Deal and publicly shamed for her body. Now, this is a relatively short extremely stupid article about a perpetual victim. So apparently on her podcast on Spotify, <laughs> they'll just let anyone have a podcast these days. Where are the standards? She revealed that she felt objectified as a briefcase model on Deal or No Deal and that she was body shamed and that it was hard to stand there in heels and that she went home every day with a pit in her stomach. All right, well, let me see if I can help. She was a briefcase model. Her job was literally to stand in heels generally in something somewhat tight, somewhat small. And I've read somewhere that they were apparently five-inch heels, and she had to hold a closed briefcase with a number. Now, when her number was called, she had to pause dramatically, then open the case to reveal a dollar figure. And then she could go sit down. So she says that she felt objectified. Well, sweetie, that's because you were. Now, we can talk about what led you to believe that you needed to take that job or if we should even have shows like this or if they should wear those kind of outfits. But the reality is, yes, you were there to look good, giggle a little bit, 
maybe say a couple words and open a case. Now, she said that she was body shamed. The story is that the showrunner told her one time to suck it in. Okay, well, what we're not supposed to say these days is that they were looking for a certain look and a poochie belly wasn't it. Now, if she was a little bloated that day or if she just ate a full platter of wings, apparently she wasn't fitting what they were paying her for. It's not body shaming to tell her to do her job. Now, she may not like it, but it's not body shaming. And she went home with a pit in her stomach. Now, this is a radical idea, and just hear me out here. If she wasn't happy, quit. I mean, and that's what she did. After 34 episodes of objectification and shaming in pits, and these were 34 non-consecutive episodes, there was one episode for season one and then 33 episodes in season two with gaps and breaks between groups of episodes, but she did quit eventually. She said, quote, I ended up quitting the show. I was so much more than what was being objectified on the stage. I didn't like feeling forced to be all looks and little substance. Okay, that's great. No big deal. But they didn't tell you that you were going to play the role of a, I don't know, a crack detective hot on the trail of the most elusive mastermind deal or no deal has ever seen. She knew what she was being asked to do. She needed money, so she took the job. See, at the time, she was somewhat a struggling actress trying to make ends meet, and from what I saw, the models would generally be paid about $800 per episode. I don't know if that's right, but it seems realistic at least, and that's not a bad deal. See what I did there? Deal. Uh, Especially knowing that multiple episodes would be shot per day. She said that she was grateful to have the job, (laughs) but that they were very fixated on beauty, and that made her feel uncomfortable. It made her feel not smart. She said that the girls had to look the same. A, quote, cookie-cutter idea of beauty. Um, yes, that's correct. She's very perceptive, I'll give her that. She said that they'd all line up. They'd get their lashes, extensions, bra padding, and they were given vouchers for weekly spray tans. I'm curious if she understands how Hollywood works, because it seems like she has no idea. Now, other former models have been coming out saying basically that she's a whiner and a liar. A former model said, quote, everyone on the show knew their role, knew the image, auditioned, volunteered, and accepted the job. I do not share her experience at all. I never felt objectified. Now, I'm glad she felt that way, but the reality is she was objectified. But she knew what was expected going in, as did Markle. This former model went on to say, quote, There is no truth to the padding station. In all the years I worked on the show, that never existed. <laughs> Yet another former model said, quote, Instead of ever feeling like a bimbo, I knew working alongside such wonderful people like Howie Mandel would only lead to bigger and better things for me. Even that lunatic Whoopi Goldberg chimed in the other day and basically told Markle to suck it up. She knew what she was getting into. But this is really kind of par for the course for Markle. Now, she's apparently half black, so she's always been mistreated, obviously, right? You can just Google or DuckDuckGo that question and find multiple instances. Case in point, one example, back in 2017, she was featured on the cover of Vanity Fair, talking about her relationship with the prince. And the headline they used was similar to a song that was sung by Judy Garland, while in blackface. (laughs) 
Need I remind you that blackface was not a racist thing back then? And it, it literally really isn't today either. I mean, but when looking at historical events, they need to be put into context, uh, something nobody seems capable of doing anymore. Uh, as for today, if I were to dress up as, say, Thomas Sowell, an incredibly intelligent economist and thinker who happens to be black, well, I mean, darker brown, no one is actually black, wouldn't that be honoring him by doing that? But no, no, it wouldn't. It's racist, as dark skin is his, and I can't even pretend to be like someone I admire. It's just the dumbest thing. But of course she whined about that. That's one example. Of course, she's now part of the royal family, so it kind of seems like things turned out okay for her. But no, you'd think so, but she was picked on, allegedly, in the UK. So she got Harry to move to the US because it was unbearable over there. And in fast-forwarding through her incredibly difficult life, now this. And in pretty much any interview she's done in the last handful of years, she's always got the attitude and tone of the victim of everything. Now keep in mind, she's a royal, the Duchess of Sussex. She is a multimillionaire, lives in a palatial home in the States. She has a staff. She has no real cares in the world. And sure, I mean, life isn't perfect for anyone, but is her poor, poor life really as bad as she thinks? And the answer is yes, her life is as bad as she thinks it is. When all you do is focus on self, if everything isn't perfect, then uh, yep, it's bad. And if you're focused on self, you can't admit that maybe you're the problem, or your attitude or perception of reality is the problem. It must be everyone else or anyone else at all. It just can't be me. I mean, just look at me. Now look. I don't know why she is this way, but the reality is she seems to have a victim mentality. Or according to one site I found, it may be better described as a victim complex. This site, just a random site I found, HanoverBaptistChurch.org, it defines three states of victimhood. Quote, a victim is anyone who has experienced a loss, injury, or misfortune as a result of an event. A victim mentality moves the loss within the victim. It is the desire for empathy and allowances in light of a person's perceived innocence in causing the loss, injury, or misfortune. Then, a victim complex is a pattern that defines a person's complete outlook on life. Now, we're all victims, every one of us. From time to time, we're all victims. Unfortunately, in a world tainted by sin, people are victimized. And that ranges from minor injustices to major events. I guarantee that we all experience the victim mentality at times, where we feel like we did nothing to deserve the perceived injustice. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes a person just needs some sympathy. The lesson to be learned can come a little bit later. That's understandable. The problem, as I see it, is the victim complex. When you decide that your life is that of a victim, that everyone is out to get you, that you'll never be able to make it, that you're always the one being picked on, that's dangerous. Now, my dad tells a story, and I'll probably get the specifics wrong, not really pertinent to my point, though, about when he worked for a short time decades ago in the social service department for a large city, he said that people would come in and be coached as to how to act and what to do in order to obtain or remain on or get more disability payments and other benefits. Eventually, over time, they became what they first acted like. The bottom line is that they were taught to be a perpetual victim. By doing that, they get paid. Now, this was decades ago, like I said. I'm sure it's much better today. Oh, I'm blind. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. Okay, there. I, oh, I rolled my eyes so hard at that. I, th I think I actually flipped around. I'm okay now. We see this today. African-Americans, or as they should be called, 
Americans, specifically, let's call them black Americans. That's fine. They've been told since, uh, what, the civil rights era, at least, maybe even the emancipation, that they're too stupid, too oppressed, too discriminated, uh, too poor, and too ignored, and on and on, and that they must have government help in every way imaginable. At the same time, government pushes to enact a legal genocide of blacks by destroying the black family, which used to be stronger statistically than white families. Uh, by destroying the black work ethic, by allowing black-on-black crime to run rampant, by gaslighting blacks that police are out to get them so as to remove police from black communities, by pushing for legalized abortion in predominantly black neighborhoods while telling them that they're victims because they're being forced to have babies. And I'm sure I missed many, many others. Because of this, The black community in general is suffering from a victim complex. The crazy thing is they absolutely are victims. They're still enslaved, in fact, but not how they think, not how they're being told. In fact, they're being victimized and enslaved by those that are telling them that they're victims. It's insidious. It's just another level of evil perpetrated by those on the left of the political spectrum, the Democrats. And I can't say this enough. The left, the Democrats, have always, always, always been the racists. They've always thought that blacks were lesser people and only existed to be controlled and used. And that continues today. Just the method has changed. Not to follow a rabbit trail, but this is a direct result of an anti-God, atheistic worldview that embraces Darwinian evolution, a massively racist theory. But in that is what I believe to be the answer for this community, for Meghan Markle, for anyone with the victim complex. The answer is God. Um, Sounds simple, right? No, look, I'm not a counselor, so just take this as a logical worldview. Your results may vary. And let me say this. This is not speaking of someone that is legitimately victimized. This is not really speaking to having the occasional victim mentality. This is my view of the victim complex. I believe that the only way to rid yourself of a victim complex is to be a born-again Christian. Now, I know that human psychology can do many things, but unless we place ourselves in the proper orientation, unless we see how we fit in the overall eternal order of things, I just don't think we can see how or why we're not perpetual victims. I mean, have you seen this world? From a humanistic worldview, we're all victims. Life is hard and mean and cold and cruel. I can tell you that personally, my life has not turned out the way I would have scripted it. I could make an entire series of podcasts just naming and describing all of my life's woes. I was just telling my eldest nephew the other day that the theological view of my life should be descriptive, not prescriptive. (laughs) This is what Uncle Dan did in life. Now go and do not do likewise. Now, that said, because I know certain things, I know that I'm far from being a victim. So what are those things that I know? Well, first, I'm a child of God. No matter what happens, this is something that can never be taken away from me by anyone. I'm safe in the hand of God because he chose me before time began to be his child. Next, I don't deserve to be a child of God. Now, how exactly does this help that mentality? Well, because I know me. I know my thoughts. I know my words. I know my actions. I know that I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and yet God, for his glory, elected me to salvation. For by grace I am saved through faith, and not of myself. This was a gift of God to me. This is not for me to boast in, but rather to be humbled by, and understand that although I am who I am, God chose me anyway. That's literally a miracle. Next, God is sovereign. 
Now, I may not like all of my circumstances. I do not like going through trials regardless of if they're my fault or if I'm blameless like Job. <laughs> I'm not blameless like Job. But I know that God isn't in heaven, just wishing he could help me out, wringing his hands, wearing a groove in the golden street from all his pacing. Every trial, every tribulation, every struggle I go through, no matter if it's minor or major, for a brief time or a season of life, has a specific eternal purpose, ultimately to bring God glory. I'm not a victim. I'm part of the eternal plan of God. Next, I am promised trouble in this life. Now, this is not a comforting thought, unless you're saved. The Bible tells us that we should expect trouble. We're told the world would hate us because they hated Jesus first. Trials and tribulations are not supposed to be a surprise to us, and they're not. I don't like them. I don't want them. I may be blindsided by them, but I'm not shocked by them. And lastly, my temporary suffering is absolutely nothing compared to what Jesus went through. We always point to his final few hours as he was beaten, abused, insulted, and then crucified, and rightly so. But go back even earlier in his history on earth. Look at your life and look at his life. Think of electricity and conditioned air and refrigeration and indoor plumbing. And he did this for his children. The best of his life from a human standpoint would cause us to be in whining misery. Even in my trials, I am blessed beyond imagination. Now, because of these things, I know that life doesn't revolve around me. Life isn't all about me. Paul said that for him to live is Christ. He had a rather eh, suboptimal life from a human viewpoint. I think we could probably all agree on that. Now, although I probably don't do this way more than I do, I need to actively, as I won't do this passively, turn my focus from looking inward at myself as the center of my world, which can lead to anger, frustration, depression, rashness, and victimization, to placing Christ at the center of my world and placing myself where I belong in relation to Christ. The Christian, or used to be Christian rapper Lecrae, I don't know what happened to him, he seems to have gone all Black Lives Matter or something, which is yet another group that does nothing but sell racism and ultimately victimization. Anyway, before he decided to lose focus on what really mattered, he had a song called Background, which also featured Andy Minio a former Christian rapper who is currently in a phase of deconstructing his faith, which means that he's making it what he wants it to be. So I wouldn't recommend either of these guys right now, but the hook for the song background boils down to this. I could play the background because I know sometimes I get in the way. So won't you take the lead and I could play the background. Now this is in its most simplistic form what we need to do. Take ourselves out of the center of our world out of the position of godhood and place the one who should be there, God himself, and that will dramatically help to align the rest of our worldview. Now, unfortunately for Meghan Markle and so many people in this world today, Jesus isn't in the lead or in the background or in the picture at all. Their focus is self. Now, I'm not saying they're all self-centered or even selfish people. I'm not even saying that this is exclusively for unsaved individuals. Those with a victim complex, I believe, either don't have Christ in their lives or they've shoved him so far into the corner, the dust bunnies don't even know he's there. So with the self-esteem movement, the cancel culture, the constant slicing and dicing of people into smaller and smaller groups with various levels of intersectionality, the focus turns more and more inward. And when things don't go right, 
it's because they're being victimized. So as not a counselor, I don't know how to turn a worldview. But I do know that when we Christians skew our focus, we will believe that we are victims. And non-Christians literally have no reason to not feel victimized all the time. If they don't, it's nothing but the common grace of God that they can comprehend that the world doesn't revolve around them. Unfortunately, in their worldview, if not themselves, and if there is no God they care about, they have nothing for the world to revolve around. It's an empty space, a vacuum. Something will eventually fill it, whether that's self or kids or job, vices. Something will fill that space. The way I see it, The only way to have a healthy worldview, the only way to escape a victim complex, is Jesus. Everyone, even Christians, will be victims from time to time. Any of us may go through a season of victim mentality, but if we're drifting into a prolonged season or a perpetual attitude of victimization, if we're saved, if we continue to focus our eyes on Christ, that focus will in time bring our worldview back in line. And when I say in time, it may be an extended period of time. Timing is God's prerogative. Unfortunately, non-Christians won't do this because they can't do this. Not until God opens their eyes. And this is for the Christian to be the examples, to be the goers and the tellers, to be the hands and the feet. Finally, we must all be honest with ourselves about what's causing the issues, about any contribution that we may be making to the problem. And if we can fix it, We should fix it. There's no reason that we shouldn't constantly try to do better and be better. So to wrap this up, regardless of if you're truly a victim or if you're a victim of your own worldview, the answer is the same. To exist in this world, to make sense of the senseless, to overcome adversity, we must humble ourselves, take a back seat, and place Jesus at the center of our world. All right, let's start here. We are not a democracy. The United States has never been a democracy. It was set up as a republic, specifically a representative republic. It can also be known by a few other names, even a representative democracy to some degree, but it's never been a pure democracy. Welcome back to our look at the Democrat Party platform. This is episode seven in our dive through the black heart of the evil beast. And in this episode, we'll be looking at how they would like to restore and strengthen our democracy. Of course, by restore, they mean destroy the republic and recreate the country and political system as a democracy, as you can't restore something that's never existed in the first place. It's just another lie the Democrats have told for a long, long time. Add it to the list, I guess. So I'm going to link an article from freethepeople.org explaining that the political spectrum doesn't really go left or right. It goes up and down, sort of. I'll try to briefly explain here. For the United States, the general political spectrum is left is the Democrat, right is the Republican. But the Democrats also want to say that Nazis are on the right, which doesn't seem to fit what's generally thought of as a right-wing conservative worldview. And we know that communism is on the left, but the only difference between those two is one is focused on their national identity only, that's the Nazis, and the other is an outward global domination kind of outlook, which is the communists. But both of them are socialist and fascist, which is on the extreme left. So how could Nazism be on the right and the left? Well, it's because on both branches, there's actually an up and a down component. 
up can be thought of as greater degrees of liberty, down is totalitarianism. Nazism is on the right-hand side of the spectrum, but at totalitarianism, and communism is on the left, also in that same location. The trick to governing a society is to determine the correct level of control versus freedom and rules versus liberty. The best human system that's been devised, at least thus far, is the representative constitutional republic of the United States. To go from unconventional warfare as a massively un- or under-trained citizen militia to being the superpower, the economic powerhouse, freedom fighter in the entire world in just a handful of decades, could not be accomplished through any other system, especially being the most diverse country in the world with a relatively small population which grants freedoms to citizens that other countries just dream about. We have a mixed past of good and evil, but because of who America was, and to a lesser degree today is, the world is a better place because we were granted the blessing of existence. From what we know, the only system that will be better will be a theocracy when Jesus returns and rules the earth. And that will only be better for some. Many will not be happy about this change in leadership. So why do the Democrats constantly call us a democracy? Well, democracy by definition is a system where the population votes directly on everything. We simply don't do that. But a democracy is a step from democratic socialism, where we have a bunch of government regulatory controls and wealth redistribution through taxation and social welfare programs. Sound familiar? And that's just one step from social engineering, which is where the government nudges and shoves the population in the direction they want them to go, typically using incentives, either positive or negative. Think of all the lotteries and perks. If you just got your COVID shot when you were told to. Think of not being canceled as long as you play ball with the tranny agenda. Think of how you can keep your business if you bake that cake, or you can avoid being hauled off to jail and you can keep your freedom, such as it is if you don't sing hymns in front of an abortion clinic. Now, after that is progressivism. Why is it that a lot of those on the left call themselves progressives? Huh, mystery. See, per the definition in this article, progressivism is the hands-on, direct guiding of both society and economy under the guise of science. Now, are, are these sounding familiar to you just at all a little bit? Next, you get into eugenics, which is essentially engineering the master race, which the United States got deep into back in the early 20th century, to the point that Hitler literally looked at what we were doing by sterilizing and eliminating the retarded, the criminal, the disabled, oh, and the blacks, you know, the inferior races per Darwinian evolution, and he said, hey, there's a good idea. Now, we are still actually working at wiping out that blasted Negro, just destroying them in any way possible, from the womb to the tomb. Yeah, we've done eugenics before, and it's evil. Now, after that, we dump out of the last vestiges of capitalism, where the workers own the factories now. Unions? Anyone? Does this sound familiar with what the so-called squad has been screeching about? How about profits by big oil? Yeah, see, we're pointed solidly toward that direction. Well, next is full-blown socialism, then Marxism, then communism. This is literally the Democrat goal, a nice socialist or communist state 
with you and I doing as we're told and the elite at the top enjoying the fruits of our labors. Of course, most of those on the left that think they'd be the elites have no idea that they'll be done away with. There isn't a lot of room at the top. But that's not my concern. <laughs> now is it? I'm just a cog in the Soviet Socialist Union of American States. So a long lead up, but I hope you understand now that when the Democrats say they want to restore the democracy, what they're saying is that they prefer for us to be a uh, socialist or better yet, a communist nation. Side note, the vast majority of those on the right, the people, not speaking of the politicians, as many of them are corrupt toward the totalitarian hellscape as well. We just want to hang out where the founders put us. Conservative values, morals generally based on the Bible, leaning slightly upward toward the liberty and freedom end of the neutral point between liberty and fascism. And apparently we're, you know, the baddies. So what do these Democrats? whoops, slip, slip of the tongue there. What do these Democrats want to turn us into exactly? Well, they break this section down into seven parts, uh, protecting and enforcing voting rights, reforming the broken campaign finance system, building an effective, transparent federal government, making Washington, D.C. the 51st state, guaranteeing self-determination for Puerto Rico, supporting the U.S. territories, and strengthening the U.S. Postal Service. So, so restoring the democracy. Can anyone tell me how most of these have anything to do with that at all? I, I don't know either, although I do know that one thing I hear from just about every friend and co-worker, my entire family, in fact, is that this government is broken, and the sooner we can support our U.S. territories and get that darn postal service running smoothly, we'll be on easy street, just cadillac along. <clears throat> so, the setup for our broken democracy is that the government and the elections are supposed to reflect the interests of the American people, not just the wealthy and large corporations, which, as we know, those on the right are all either wealthy or a big corporation. Now, just for fun, I wanted to know if this was true. Are the big corporations all just right-wingers? We already know this answer. So I found a site called HowMuch.net that compiled the total donated for the 30 largest donors on the Fortune 500 for the years 2007 to 2017. And what percent went to the Dems and the Republicans and other. I threw the numbers in Excel and we come up with in those 10 years a total of $96.3 million donated. Now, just under $56 million, or 58%, went to the Democrats, just under 40 million, or 40.9%, went to the Republicans, and $1 million, or 1.1%, went to other. So, when they imply the wealthy are donating to the right, what they actually mean is that the, uh, is that nobody, <laughs> nobody should donate to the right, because they're already getting the majority of the money for some reason, and I've never been able to figure that out, but they don't want the majority, they want all, all the money. Anyway, they say they'll push back against Republican governors, legislatures, and state officials who have apparently disenfranchised people to vote, but only people of color or the young, the poor, and the disabled. As long as you're white and old, rich and perfectly healthy, we'll take you on the right. The rest of you, get out. <clears throat> now, does anyone at all, anyone, anywhere believe this? Anyone? And yes, uh, quite a few low-information, mouth-breathing voters do literally believe this, which is sad. 
In fact, we're seeing absolute record early voting turnout in Georgia right now. And this was supposed to be the big brother to Jim Crow. This was Jim Eagle. In fact, our illustrious notes reader with a second grade reading level, apparently, White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre just made the claim a few days ago that you can have an oppressed vote and record early voting numbers at the same time. Because of course you can, KJP, of course you can. Doesn't your master need a diaper changing or another cup of pudding or something? So, quote, Democrats are committed to the sacred principle of one person, one vote. And we also cling tightly to the belief that that includes prisoners, undocumented immigrants, imaginary friends, the dead, the undead, and one vote for every personality that you believe you have. I might have added that last little bit, but you know they're thinking it. They then go on to decry the Republican plan to screw with the voting through, quote, onerous voter ID laws, unconstitutional and excessive purges of the voter rolls, and closures of polling places in low-income neighborhoods, on college campuses, and in communities of color. Americans should never have to wait in hours-long lines to exercise their voting rights. (laughs) Okay. First of all, The voter ID thing, that's, once again, a a made-up thing. And it's a racist thing. The the Democrats are the racists. I keep saying this, but they are the racists. They always have been. They always will be. So a Monmouth University poll was conducted and released in June of 2021. The results of that poll show that 62% of Democrats, 87% of independents, and 91% of Republicans support voter ID. Uh, But then the telling statistic, of course, 77% of whites, or more accurately, white devils, support voter ID, while only a small 84% of non-whites support voter ID requirements to vote. Yeah, you heard that correct. Back it up 15 seconds, take it off 1.5 speed. You heard me right. As for their other claims... Polling places are determined by whoever and approved by someone. I don't know. I don't really care. But it's not like there are a bunch of shady characters sitting in a smoke-filled room determining the best way to disenfranchise people of color, poor, disabled, and young people. Most states have early voting. Only seven states don't. Oddly enough, including Delaware. Delaware. Where have I heard of that state before? Something about vegetables. Ah, well, it escapes me. Anyway, polls on the actual election day in every state open early and they stay open late, like everywhere. Federal workers get election day off so they can have the full 12 to 15 hour window to go vote. Voter rolls are purged of, you know, dead people, people that haven't voted in decades, non-citizens of the state, etc. And even then, it's a rigorous process to get them purged. And who said that it's a right not to have to wait in long lines? If that's a right, can we broaden that to places like Disney? Make them put in at least eight of every popular ride. They're violating my God-given right to not uh, have to have to wait. Now, they're going to protect every vote, especially the Democrat ones, I'm assuming. They want Election Day to be a national holiday and finally something we can agree on. I'll take another holiday. They're going to make sure all disabled can vote. And I have to ask, can they not right now? I mean, are there poll workers at the tops of staircases mocking wheelchair-bound people, taunting them about their inability to vote? 
Or are they playing Marco Polo with a blind person, leading them the wrong direction, away from the polls, you know, just for fun? Where can the disabled not vote? Now, they want to support vote counting integrity audits. And, oh, I bet they do. They don't like gerrymandering, they say. Well, at least they don't like the wrong kind of gerrymandering. And they're going to spend more money to ensure the cybersecurity is top-notch or... As they say in Russian. Not sure why I chose that one specific language at random. As for reforming the broken campaign finance system, they want to eliminate this and make that better and government match these things and get rid of foreign money. And I'd say get rid of all the donations. Here's what I think. Regardless of where the money comes from, as I literally don't care, we set a dollar figure for each kind of race and that's it. A race for president can spend a maximum of, let's say, $10 million. That's advertising, travel, campaigning, everything. Senators can spend $2 million. Representatives can spend $1 million. You know, that sort of thing. And cascade it down into the states and local elections as well. I don't know the right numbers. I've just made those up. But if you limited the total dollars, and if they go over, they're disqualified, then the average Joe public could get in these races too, and maybe we could branch away from the two corrupt parties. You know, one that pushes evil and the one that does nothing but talk. They were going to build an effective, transparent federal government. Um, okay, we're two years later now. Is this what we've seen? Is the government better or worse? How is it looking today? We have press secretaries that do nothing but feed us lies and spin. President Vegetable barely came out of his basement to campaign, and when he did, it was usually gaff after gaff. And now, so far in, uh, what are we in, 21 months? He's held a total of 17 press conferences of any kind, which in his nearly two years is slightly less than Trump held his first year and also his second year. It's slightly more than Trump's third year, if you take that full total, and it's less than half of what Trump held his fourth year. The FBI has become the Gestapo of the regime. We're learning that piece by piece, aren't we? We don't actually know who's pulling the strings behind the scenes because Biden says a lot of things. And then the White House, whoever that is, walks it back the same day or maybe the next. So who's actually in control here? And why has Biden spent over a quarter of his time as president in Delaware? He's gone there 55 times for a total of 174 days. That's out of 646 total days in office as of today. Now, what about all the cover-up with regard to COVID stuff? Why can't we know anything about that? Have they been held accountable for the Afghanistan withdrawal debacle? The border is worse than when Obama had it, but they tell us nothing and deny everything. We're being told that inflation wasn't happening. Then it was, but it would be here and gone. Then it's here and it's a good thing. (laughs) They're lying about drilling and energy. They're lying about an all-electric, clean energy society. Crime is literally out of control, the worst it's been in decades, and they're promoting the LGBTQ agenda, especially the T, while demonizing parents. So do we feel like this is a transparent, effective government that's working for the people? They say that Trump was striving for chaos and division, that he's packed the court with unqualified partisan judges. Now, looking at the nearly democracy-killing January 6th, literally mostly peaceful protest and, you know, just kind of milling about, compared to the literal violence, riots in the streets, 
the looting, the shooting, the burning, raping, taking over sections of cities, mostly peaceful protests of those on the left. Who exactly is promoting chaos again? And just just know that when they say unqualified and or partisan judges, what they mean is judges that uh, don't think the way they want them to is, is uh, you know, that's important. Not the Constitution so much. They don't really care if, if they believe or rule based on that. They want to make D.C., the leftist swamp, into a state. They want Puerto Rico to be a state also. That's what they mean by self-determination. And their plan is to treat them like a state with all sorts of social welfare programs and dollars thrown at them and other money to do whatever, you know, to bring them under the control of their providers for votes. They want to make the territories de facto states with full voting rights, full congressional representation, give them all the opportunity to become states as well. And of course, throw money at them for various benefits and welfare programs to get them on the Democrat teat as well. Don't bite the hand that feeds you, Guam. Vote appropriately. And finally, the big one. I hate that we're already so long into this. This one really is the most important one of the bunch. Strengthening the U.S. Postal Service. Well, they're going to resist privatizing them, I would guess, because where else can you find a spy agency of over half a million people, right? I mean, they did admit a year and a half ago that one of their charges was to spy on social media posts, because apparently spying is a post office thing now. But it's nothing nefarious, despite it being named the Internet Covert Operations Program, or ICOP. I mean, that sounds fine, right? Nothing big brotherish there. They're also going to make them solvent once again, which, I mean, that sounds nice. Now, is that because of the postage rate hikes that are yet again coming in 2023? Or is that because of the $107 billion boost that Biden signed into law this last April? Because they're still projecting, even with that nice boost, long-term losses of between 60 and 70 billion. Now, I'm not sure what long-term means, but I know what 60 or $70 billion means. It means that the Democrats only answer to, is to tax you more. That's what postage is. And to print more money to hand over to them, which is doing nothing but taxing you more. But they have other ideas too. You know, continue high levels of service, like six or seven day delivery, overnight deliveries, and maybe they can make a little extra pocket jingling change by shipping alcohol. And they want to be a quasi-government owned bank as well. You know, for those unbanked or underbanked Americans. And I gotta ask, again, is that literally a thing? Because it seems like everywhere an empty lot is, uh, you know, kind of showing. Construction starts almost immediately, and everyone's hopes are dashed that it's something yummy or fun or cool when they see it's yet another bank. It seems like there are just a, a lot of banks. And that, my friend, is how... And I literally had to scroll back up in their platform to remember what this topic was because nothing seems to fit, you know, under their header. But this is how the Democrats are going to restore and strengthen our democracy. So this was back in 2020. And let me ask you, have they done anything? Are voting rights protected or any different at all? I mean, their only real plan seems to be wine that we still need drop boxes just everywhere, you know, for reasons. They've done nothing but scream and shout about elections, while all the data is proving their rants wrong, yet again. Has campaign finance been reformed? I, I don't think so. Are they transparent and effective? I think I covered that fairly well. Do you really want D.C. to be a state? <laughs> I sure don't. A penal colony, maybe. Not a state. As for Puerto Rico and other territories, 
I have no problem. The more, the merrier. But but not if they're going to be bribed for a period beforehand. If all they're trying to do is enslave them on the Democrat plantation, I don't think that's good for anyone. Am, am I wrong on that? The Democrats don't see Puerto Ricans. They don't see people. They see people of color that they believe are too stupid to realize they're being manipulated and gaslit because they're lesser people. And ultimately, the Democrats see votes, both in elections and in the Congress. The Democrats don't care about anyone beyond their vote and their tax bracket. Fight me on this, I dare you. As for the USPS, and let's throw in Amtrak and any other government service that's a monetary drain, they should be eliminated or privatized. If our tax dollars and their business model can't keep them afloat, they don't need to exist. The private sector can literally do everything better than the public sector, hands down. So let me ask you this. Have the Democrats in two years successfully restored our democracy? Or have they just caused more division, more anger, more distrust, more chaos? Not to mention more stress, more dependence, more poverty. Based on my opening defining the political systems, maybe they have been restoring us to a democracy after all. So the question turns to, do we want them to continue? Now, looking at the state of our political system today, is this the road we want this country to continue down? This, once again, at least to me, is evil. They're rushing us down the path to a totalitarian state of poverty and depression, absent any sort of private ownership of anything, absent private businesses, absent of hope and purpose, at least from a humanist perspective. The desire to turn us into a socialist paradise full of good government-dependent government drones is dripping from every aspect of their platform and their goals and their actions, and this is evil. So, as we close in on Election Day, as the polls are already open all around the country, I ask you before you vote, are we better or worse? This country was blessed by God for many, many years. I believe that can happen again. I don't know that, but I choose to believe it. But we must rid our leadership of those that seek ultimate control, seek to destroy this country, seek to destroy Christianity and the family and freedom. Every election that we sit on our hands brings us that much closer to no more elections. We need to move now. From the city to the state to the federal elections, midterms, presidential years, and special elections, we need to get out there en masse and vote out those that hate America and all it stood for, and vote in those with moral character and the desire to follow our Constitution. So, get out there and vote. And with that, we'll bring this episode to a close. Now, on the next episode, we'll talk about immigration and maybe even dip our toe into the world of education. So, until next time. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, 
God bless.